Hello and welcome to another episode of Cloud Security Podcast. Today we have a repeat guest from one of our previous episodes, Taylor Hurson. We took on a very different topic this time. For a lot of people who are thinking about cybersecurity and are trying to climb through different ladders of cybersecurity, you would realize that after a certain point, it's all about talking to the board and convincing other people to give a share of the budget so you can either buy that new product or hire that extra person in your team so your workload is reduced for the whole team. And I don't hear that being spoken about enough out in the industry. So I bought Taylor in. Virtual SISO and SISOs and head of security, a lot of those roles have to do this quite often. Like for example, recently I've had to have a similar conversation with my board as well. And it's definitely a very different way of thinking about cybersecurity, presenting it to the real people who probably don't understand what security does beyond a firewall or security or monitoring. Like for them, uh, security is just another cost function. So if you are someone who's looking at what it looks like at a certain level, like after a, a CISO level or just chief information security officer for people who don't know, or CISO as some people may call it, or even as a head of security, which is what I do, it's at that level, it's all about convincing and getting money for your team to support your team and bet, make your security better. We also spoke about what are things which you should avoid in a board meeting. We spoke about if someone is trying to get into this space of risk and governance, uh, because that's the kind of conversation that you have at that level. Uh, it's not about how amazing the hack was. It's always about how much of a risk is I'm trying to, I guess, reduce for my entire organization. So in case there was a security incident, my damage is quite minimum. So that and a lot more uh, gems in this episode. As always, I do appreciate people who reach out on LinkedIn and help them. I really appreciate We always love the feedback. If you find value out of this, I would appreciate if you hit the subscribe button or just follow us on the podcast platform that you're on. By the way, if you do end up watching the video on YouTube uh, or on Twitch, uh, which is where this was streamed, you would realize that I've started doing growing a COVID beard. I'll be keen to know how many of you are growing a COVID beard for men and for ladies, uh, what has been the COVID challenge? I'm assuming a lot of hair salons are closed as well. So how are you guys dealing with it? So anyway, if you want to see, if you want to see my COVID beard and how that's looking, it's, uh, it's, on, it's on YouTube and Twitch at the moment. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And without further ado, uh, this is Taylor Hersim and it's the Virtual Coffee with Ashish series. Hey, everyone who's joining in, just making sure I'm going live just because I had a bit of an issue with Twitch earlier, hence I'm five minutes late. Uh, I have Taylor. Hey, Taylor. Hey, what's going on, my man? Thanks for how having me. How are you going? The uh, Well, first of all, coffee check. All right. Beer. This isn't coffee, but let's just act like it is. All right. Cheers. I was going to say, what kind of coffee, uh, sorry, what kind of beer is it? Uh, you know, today I'm trying a weird one. Uh, it's mango habanero cider out of a brewery here in, in Texas. So um, definitely out of my comfort zone, but it's actually really good. Oh, 
Uh, I can't wait to try it, man. It sounds like, wait, does it have mango flavors? Is that why mango? I think it's actual mango for the side. I, I guess, can you ferment mango? I don't even know. Uh, I wish they uh, put the ingredients on there, but it says with fresh mangoes. I don't know. I don't know how they got <laughs> mangoes to turn into alcohol, but uh, yeah, well, that, no, well, uh, that that's that is definitely interesting in terms of like how you can. Well, I guess you can make anything out of anything these days. So it's just like yeah, that's true. It's like the number of options that we have in our supermarkets are just hilarious. Um, but I, were, I wanted to start off by saying, dude, thanks so much for make, taking the time out and thank you for taking the beverage as well, including because um, I love to hear what people are drinking. And I, it's, it's one of those things, right? Because people have different, we're all in different time zones. So it's always good to have, uh, I guess, the beverage right for the occasion. Like it's like 8 a.m. over here. So definitely makes sense for me to go for a coffee. Uh, but it doesn't make sense for you to go for a coffee unless you don't want to sleep for the whole night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is 5 p.m. here, so I promise I'm not cracking a beer at 9 a.m. my time. That's right. He's still very <laughs> he's still very LinkedIn professional. It's just that like, it's beer o'clock. That's pretty. That's exactly. the only difference. <laughs> that's the only difference over here. Um, I, I think we kind of mentioned this for people who are joining in. Um, the topic for today is cybersecurity for the board. And actually, while maybe might make sense for people who are watching as well, if I just rename uh, that, I don't know how it will appear. So cybersecurity for board. And I think the reason I, well, I'm not going to spoil your introduction, man. Uh, for, for people who don't know you, Taylor, how do you describe yourself? Great question. Uh, yeah. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for taking the time. So Taylor Hersom, um, I'm the chief security officer for um, a company here in Austin, Texas called Cyber Compass. Um, I'm also the VP of business development for that company. And then I, uh, I run a firm as well called Eden Data. And then finally, I'm a board advisor for a few different startups in the cybersecurity space. Um, so my, uh, my forte is in cybersecurity. I've had the great privilege of, uh, being in uh, cybersecurity for a number of years, started my career at Deloitte and expanded out, um, into the chief security officer role. And now I do mostly virtual chief security officer, which is kind of a new, um, I guess, field of, of private contracting. And, and so, um, yeah, thanks again, man. This is, I mean, you know, I always have, uh, Great pleasure in talking with you, but uh, now I'm cool enough to be on LinkedIn Live since I don't have it <laughs> myself, of course. <laughs> well, I, apparently it's a wait. I think it, mine took about four months, I think, before it came in. Nice. Yeah, That's so awesome. it, it took a while. Yeah, um, but I, it, and I think it's really good for me to have you because I think for two reasons. Off late, um, one of the questions that I've been getting is about how do I address the whole board uh, conversation with cybersecurity. But the other conversation that I've been getting is about uh, risk and governance as well, yeah. which uh, I know you're pretty awesome at as well. So we'll definitely dig into that. Um, the virtual size of, and I think it's, you and I have spoken about this and I don't know if anyone else over here knows this. What is millennial size of? Yeah, so uh, Millennial CISO is like the the brand that I've started on on my end. I use that as kind of my my brand image of for blogging and, and doing my guest speaking. I've had the the pleasure of being able to speak at events and do podcasts and things like that. And I I kind of wanted to tag it 
um, to a certain brand. And you and I have had many conversations about branding, but um, one of the big things is that everyone always comes up to me and they say, I have a baby face. And, and when I tell them I'm a CISO, then, then they usually give me a hard time. And so <laughs> then I just started embracing it by saying that I'm the millennial CISO, but more importantly around that brand, I'm, I'm trying to showcase that the next generation of leaders in the, in the organization are like the generation X, Y, and Z. And yep. we, we think radically different than, than the traditional ways of um, thinking. And so, especially with something like cybersecurity, where it's a like chief security officer is a relatively new role in the grand scheme of things. And so um, I, I try to embrace the, the brand around um, bringing those radically different thoughts to the cybersecurity space specifically. That, that is amazing. And I, I think, um, yeah, there is more to come from millennial size though, as we go, go through this journey. Like We lost you. My bad. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, that was, that did was I mess like a, that up? No, no, no. You, you were live on your own. That was that was pretty much that was supposed to be a millennial sizer show. It just turned out to be yeah. that I just like I'm gonna make a quick exit over here. <laughs> I still can. Man, I didn't even make a plug. I had like four <laughs> seconds of alone time there. Uh, <laughs> Drop the uh, ball. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well you know, the, 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 the funny thing is uh, in all of this conversation that I've kind of really uh, found that as a size of one of the hardest conversations for anyone who's not technical or probably could, could be technical as well. Talking to a board is a very different experience, right? And I, I'm, I wanted us to jump straight right in for people who are coming in um, and for people who are watching on Twitch and uh, LinkedIn, if you have any questions, just drop it in there and uh, drop it in the comment and we'll try and answer them as we go through this. So I'm gonna start off with the obvious one. Um, where do you see, and I, I think, yeah, why do you feel cybersecurity is important uh, at a board level? Yeah, great question. So cybersecurity in general has become a problem for, I, I would argue, every single company out there because every company is in some essence a data company. And so um, we now have to make decisions around protecting that data. And those decisions have implications um, on the entire organization from brand to revenue to uh, third party relationships, to um, just overall uh, legal issues as well. And so when you talk about all these different factors, then then it makes it obvious that the board has to have some say in these things. And so um, the, the board of directors very much has um, sway over the entire strategic vision of the company. And when cybersecurity um, infringes upon that, then, then they obviously have to be a, a part of it. Sweet, I just realized, sorry, I'm gonna quickly move the curtain because I, I wanted the window natural light. Now I'm just like this. You're I'm just glowing. glowing now. Yeah, I'm not glowing. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one second, man. Sorry. Yeah, um, you're good. I see a fun part of doing live, right? You can just do uh, yeah. thing. But I, f I feel like that's kind of the, the best part about live as well. You can yeah. make well. it, you, you can make it what you want it to be as well. So I'm gonna, um, get into the other other question, uh, which is, okay, so if they understand the importance, okay, but does every company need to think about this? Like, not every company has a board as well, right? But how does it That's go with that? 
No, that's a, that's a great clarifying question in that um, not every question or not every company has a board, but those companies that don't have board of directors, um, typically the leadership team uh, kind of displaces that or they, they take on that role. Um, yeah. And so you kind of have to have the same mentality when you're pitching security to the board uh, or to just the leadership team in general. Um, yep. And one of the big things with that that I'd like to point out is that typically board members and, and executive management at any company, they're not cybersecurity professionals themselves. They didn't come from any sort of IT background. They came from um, strategic roles. So everything from CEO to CFO, um, or maybe they're serial board members, maybe they're investors, maybe there's there's usually um, the 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 role of the board of directors or leadership team is very strategic and not very technical um so i think that that's something important to note yeah and taking a leap from that then what's the first thing people should be looking at or thinking about when they're considering how do i i guess present this to the board so it makes sense and doesn't come across too technical and I've got a great example for it, but uh, as in, I've got a great example for how people describe it, but I would love to hear um, what are the baby steps people should can, can take or how should they think about presenting cybersecurity to the board? Yeah, I think the first tip on that would be talking in their language. So one of the biggest things, I learned this trial by fire. I had to present to a variety of board members when I was at Deloitte and then beyond um, when I started doing the virtual CISO route. Um, and I, I realized that as much as I love to talk about the technical components of cybersecurity and I felt that it was important, they don't care. They, they have no idea what the heck you're talking about and they, they zone out. And it's so much harder to get your budget or to get your objective across um, or to get any sort of buy-in um, if you're talking like that. So the first thing is talking in their language and it, and it ties to what I just said about what types of members sit on the board or your leadership team. These are very strategic, successful business leaders um, that understand business from an operational standpoint, from a strategic standpoint, from a revenue standpoint. And so those are the kinds of uh, things that you need to be talking about. So. For example, talking about cybersecurity as it impacts the bottom line, talking about cybersecurity and how it can protect the company's brand in order to avoid um, implications uh, that are that are far reaching in terms of uh, brand damage and, and overall brand awareness, kind of explaining to the board that, hey, I know you think cybersecurity is something technical and that it's just a cost center, but in fact, by us doing these things, it's actually building a brand around that we we take security seriously, and it's pro it's protecting us from um, basically um, del I guess guaranteed uh, uh, security implications down the road. We talk about it's not a matter of if but when, and yeah. so now we we, we kind of live in a day and age where you just have to expect that you're going to get breached at some point. It's how you mitigate the risk around that, how you mitigate the fallout from that. So explaining that to the board in a way that they understand that, that hey, by investing in cybersecurity today, you're saving us money and protecting us tomorrow. Um, and, and kind of because for the most part, the board of directors kind of understands if I put money towards something, I'm going to get immediate value back, whereas security, they don't see that value immediately. And so that's a very subtle difference, but it's something important that you have to understand that you kind of have to explain to them. Um, when they're when they're thinking about investment and returns in a certain way, you have to explain how security falls in that. Oh, that's a really interesting point about tying it back to value. And usually, security is considered as a cost function. And mm -hmm. find, I, I guess to your point about 
highlighting it's not it's when rather than like oh it's not right now but it's really where it could happen any moment that's what you're preparing right. for and sometimes it's probably a route which is not that popular but a lot of people it's driven by say a scared tactic as well where it's like mm-hmm. oh we are like this this is uh, like this ransomware going around and it's going to affect us and blah 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 is that the usual approach uh like what what's your approach for this kind of like a like what's your thought around this i guess using uh threat versus like cuz you know how tying something to your point about cybersecurity for the board they don't know what you guys do like they were just like oh yeah it's like they they do monitoring they do i guess yeah. they have a firewall i guess what else do they need they have an antivirus what else what else do you guys need is this like is is my so i think and it's yeah. it's it sounds very uh, very oversimplified for people who are from a security background listening is like no we are way more than antivirus we may yeah. way more than monitoring security but tying that back you reckon what's the e- what's the easy uh, i guess what's the easy way to d- address this without using a a fear mechanism i guess is there a easy way to do this without saying oh we're going to get ransomware or anything else yeah so basically how can you go in and showcase value without using the fud factor the fear and that's right doubt, right yeah that's right. okay yeah. that's the word i was yeah, looking for I mean, i'm like what is that word and like that's it <laughs> Thanks, no man. no you're you, but you're you're spot on i mean the, the, it is tricky because unfortunately you feel like sometimes you need to um just almost strangle someone to get them to understand how important security is and if they don't have that context us security professionals are typically very passionate about what we do and we see the day-to-day just absolute mess of of uh security and or lack thereof and so it's very it's very frustrating to try to explain that to folks without um them seeing the value and so sometimes we feel like we have to use fear uncertainty doubt and tell them it start listing off statistics about ransomware and about phishing attempts and all that but i try to come into it first and foremost with the positive of kind of showcasing how security can add value to the organization i mean i think you would agree that these days if you are a any sort of technology company and you are showcasing your security efforts people appreciate that and tend to flock towards you um rather than away like i never choose a vendor now that does not have the ability to showcase their entire IT security program to me either in a controls listing or a SOC 2 certification, ISO certification, something to show me that they're investing in security. I'm sure you're the same way. Um yep. and so being able to showcase that hey, by us investing in security, we can actually brag about it. We can use it as a brand builder. Um it can increase our um it, it has the potential to increase our revenue. It has the potential to increase our customer awareness um things like that um i also think that making sure that they understand what we just talked about where that by investing today we're we're um we're staying away from um the the risk of of a huge investment down the line it kind of ties into i'm a big fan of the fair methodology uh i don't remember what fair stands for actually <laughs> so that's completely right that's all right we can yeah. google it Yeah, exactly. But the the fair methodology goes away from qualitative, which is like doing impact and um probability scores to gauge a risk and it goes to quantitative. So you're actually using percentages and number amounts to kind of gauge a range of what your risks are. So you'll you'll go in and and you'll say that if I don't invest in in better password policy today, 
then there is a 20 to 30% chance that in the next year, one of our users' uh, accounts will be compromised. And the impact of that is anywhere from $500 to uh, $100,000. And so now you have a range and you know, um, for every risk that you've identified, you know where to put your money. Um, and yeah. so with those numbers, you can go to your board and say, look, we did a risk assessment based on these, these, uh, by, based on the fair methodology, for example, and these are the risks and these are the implications. If we don't address them, you're now giving them a dollar amount and they're going to be like, what the hell, this is going to cost me a hundred thousand dollars. If, if this happens, like that's a very different, um, discussion at that point. hundred percent. That's a, um, I'm going to put the fair methodology in the show notes when this gets uh, put onto the podcast, but it's, it's an interesting methodology where it lets you put a value against a risk as in like a dollar value against risk. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's big because usually putting a dollar value against something, which is just a cost function, is probably hard because you're not directly contributing into the product. I guess you are, but in a way it's not obvious. It's so transparent yeah. that no one sees it. It's kind of like sometimes I, the analogy that I use is like, imagine your product is a Mona Lisa. And you have the glass in front of the, the Mona Lisa painting. And if you were an artist, you're like, why do I need to put glass? I don't want everyone to see it. But then if anyone touches it, it damages it. And it's like, I think it's one of, it's one of those ones, right? I think it's always there, but it's so transparent that people almost, unless you try and do something, you don't realize, oh, actually, I do have security. But anyway, that's my analogy of it. But I, I think it's like a, I do definitely want to recommend people to use FAIR. Um, and I think, is there an easy way to kind of pick that up or do you have to be like a, uh, I guess an expert in, in something to pick it up? I'm just thinking about people who may not yeah. be say security professionals, but they have a board and they want to address, um, I guess, improve cybersecurity and talk about how they can add value. So can anyone pick this up? Yeah. So they, they sell the book, um, on Amazon, at least here in the States, I would imagine for the most part, uh, globally, they sell the fair methodology book that they released. And then the website, I think it's fairinstitute.org, but, uh, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, you can get on there and they have a ton of free resources. Um, and you can read all about kind of what the methodology is, but at the end of the day, you can do as little or as much as you want with it. It's not like, uh, you have to throw, uh, you have to go get every certification out there and change everything that you've ever done. It's basically just changing your mindset to get away from guessing impact and probability on a one to 10 scale like we all do um, to going towards a more um, quantitative of trying to give a range of dollar amounts and percentage amounts. Well, it, there's a whole psychology behind it in that humans are a lot better at guessing ranges than we are guessing exact numbers. So if you and I were to, to gauge a risk right now, like on yeah. access management, we'd probably give it different scores for impact and, and uh, probability. But if you throw the fair methodology at it, then we're each choosing a range and then we're doing a mathematical calculation, um, doing kind of a simulation, the Monte Carlo simulation to run the numbers again and again to kind of give you an average. And so then you're a lot closer to what the uh, potential impact and uh, probability are from a dollar amount. Sweet. And that that's pretty awesome. I love the methodology where, I, where you can put some dollar amount because I think to your point, board understands the the, the dollar value because from them, from, from their perspective, it's a strategic decision. It's not a, I want to install this firewall so I get protection from blah. It's more like 
what is this firewall going to protect me in terms of cost that I may, I guess, uh, have to face if something was to go wrong? Um, are there any, I guess, is there any anti-message? Let's go with that. Like, you know how there's patterns and anti-patterns. Is there like a, a method that should not be used uh, with the board when talking about cybersecurity? I guess everything else apart from FAIR, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I would say first and foremost, uh, don't go in preaching about fair methodology itself. Don't <laughs> confuse the heck out of them. Like, I, I probably already went too far down the rabbit hole just on this chat. But even at high level, um, obviously, you only have a limited time to pitch to them. But yes, yeah, staying away from technical. Um, I try to stay away from fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I, I can't say that you can always do that. I think that if you're, let's say, a, a healthcare company, for example, um, right now, they're getting pummeled because of COVID um, for phishing attempts and a variety of malware attacks. And so it's good to kind of assign um, a statistic to things like that when it really does have high implications on your company. Um, but I would say above all else, just don't do technical. Don't sit there and, and try to rattle on to they already know if you, I guess a, to put it a different way, they already know your competency or you wouldn't be there in the first place. And so you're not trying to prove to them that you know cybersecurity. Of course, you know cybersecurity. Um, yep. And so now it's it's really it's it's charisma at this point. It's it's winning over the board because you're trying to get a lot of money from them um, and showcase the value behind what you're implementing or that, requesting to implement. Very well put together. That that's uh, that's a great answer as well. Um, and since you touched on COVID, is pitching online? I guess because no one's really meeting in person, or at least yeah. not in some countries. Uh, by the way, Australia may be changing soon, which will be really interesting to see uh, how we go back to office. But for people who are doing this in, in COVID times, um, online and I guess in person, uh, for me, are two different things in terms of you can see how the person is reacting. Um, you can gauge the conversation better. But do you find, yeah. like, have you had to do any online yet? Any presentations aboard? I have. I actually had to before COVID before. Uh, so just being a virtual CISO, most of the time I'm, I'm remote for my clients. Um, and I've had a couple instances where I had to pitch remotely. Um, but then I have had one instance for uh, COVID specifically. It's definitely not uh, the ideal scenario. I, I do agree with you that being in person is always going to be more effective. Um, but the way you can circumvent the... I guess, lack of value you're getting or, or lack of effectiveness you're getting from virtual is establishing relationships with the board ahead of time. So this is one thing that people forget all the time. I get asked all the time, how, how often do you think we should pitch to the board? How often should we meet about cybersecurity? The official answer is quarterly, but you should not wait quarterly to interact with the board of directors. You find, first of all, you should at the very least invest in a relationship so you can have a quote unquote champion someone that can back you up and that will always have your back at, at the board meetings. Um, yep. but secondly, you should work to establish um, some form of relationship with everyone. And so if you kind of have a good rapport with these board members, then your virtual meetings right now um, are, are a lot more effective and you don't have as much pressure on it because you already know that people are going to be there to, to support you. Yep. And that seems like a cheesy answer, but I swear it's true. No, I, I was going to add to it, actually. Is I was going to say that um, when in the beginning of cybersecurity, a lot of conversation that you may have as a team with your boss mm -hmm. is all around uh, quite technic technical things. It could be about 
cloud security. It could be about search CCPA we spoke about in one of our previous episodes with, uh, with both of us or something very specific from a legal perspective or a compliance perspective. But the higher up you go, and this is for people who may be listening in and probably are not are at that level, they're like, oh, I don't need to talk to the board right now. I don't even know. I don't care. But as you kind of find yourself climbing that career ladder, at a certain point, you would find yourself either having stakeholders, which are board members, or stakeholders, which are uh, important decision makers, executives, CEOs. So it doesn't have to right. be a board member. But it could be a CEO who could be from a non-technical background. Uh, and But the... the the description of or how you describe your service and the value you're bringing in would not change. It would still be the same. It just instead of addressing the board, you're addressing the CEO now, uh, yep. who probably who, and in our case, the CEO reports to the board. And so, irrespective, I feel like at that level, it becomes more of a human psychology thing rather than how amazing my tool is. Would yeah, you agree? Absolutely. Oh yeah, it, it's at that point, it's 80% of just your ability to build a relationship and for pres presenting and, and winning over the crowd. Um, it, it doesn't tie so much back to the technical components yeah. um, at that point. And yeah, so well said. I, I think about, yeah, so with the COVID thing, which, which has made me realize a lot of the risk and governance pieces are, I, they're not updating, but it'll be really interesting to see how they get affected by you know COVID because a lot of people cannot do site visits anymore. Auditors are like, oh well, everything's remote now. Do you, do you and because you're on that stream as well, do you see that affecting in I guess the way people are looking at our risk and governance as well? I think so. I think right now we're kind of in a staggered mode. We kind of put the cart before the horse in the sense that everybody had to scramble. First of all, side note, I was blown away with how many companies were not able to just work remotely. I, I guess I was completely ignorant to the fact that <laughs> I've been able to work remotely. Every company I've worked with uh, or for, uh, I've been remote. And so now you have all these companies that were just scrambling and it's not, it's obviously there, there are many companies and it makes sense that they wouldn't have a remote workforce, but there are some companies where it's like, they, I don't know why they fought remote for so long. So it was mind boggling. <laughs> um, but what, what we did is unfortunately scrambled to make sure that we could go remote um, across the world. And so now I think people are going to have to retroactively come back and say, well, we clearly didn't have the capabilities to go remote and therefore we probably didn't have the uh, appropriate security to go remote. And so now we got to think about security. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen with like the, the board. I think board meetings are going to have to go virtual for the most part, um, which is going to be such a weird dynamic. But I think um, with the remote workforce and then the fact that we got hit with so many um ransomware attacks and just an, an uptick of cyber attacks across the world i yep. think that people are finally going to start taking security a lot more seriously but if anything i would say that there's going to be a lot more regulation coming um post covid because of all of this fallout that we have for um uh, cyber attacks and the, the implications on on businesses uh, revenue and beyond Mm. And uh, there's a reason why I asked this question, because I have one of my, I, I guess, connections on LinkedIn asked me this question recently. So, and I'm keen to know your thoughts on this as well. Um, his question was along the lines of, and 
I'm not going to name the person at the moment, but because uh, I'm still waiting for him to respond back saying if it's, if it's okay for me to use the questions. So I'm not going to name him exactly, but... Um, Down on the wire. Of, yeah, that's right. So I'm going <laughs> to g- g- generify the question as much as possible. Um, the, the question was more around for people who are coming from, say, governance in a data center uh, space, and because mm-hmm. this is cloud security podcast and uh, as, well, I guess it's going to go into the cloud security podcast. So worthwhile um, considering that cloud security and risk governance, obviously we had a whole episode on it, which is like people can go back and listen to it. But in terms of COVID and how it has affected risk and governance, it, what it has also meant, I guess, is what it has also meant is a lot of people have lost their jobs. And they're trying to, um, I guess, requalify. They're yeah. coming into the whole governance and risk space as probably because that's that's one field where you don't need to be a hacker to begin with. You need to understand uh, the legal aspects. You need to understand uh, the, I guess, the controls aspect. But do you find that people coming from a data center space where they might have worked in the data center for some time? Uh, is it easy for them to like i think what do you suggest they qualify or how do they qualify for a risk and governance role in a covid world because you've done this remote virtual sizer thing for a very long time now and mm-hmm. for other people who are trying to get in get into the space in terms of risk and governance which is an interesting which is very important and it helps get helps you get into have the board conversation i think i don't think hackers get to talk to board they're just like hacking away um, so, <laughs> but, so it's it's much. I feel like it's a much harder job to be in front of other people and trying to convince them to understand the risk and uh, have, make them understand why it's important. So, for anyone who's listening, who may be trying to requalify and get into the space of, uh, say, risk and governance, um, considering it's COVID now, and I know no one's prepared. For, no one was prepared for COVID, so maybe the answer may have been different before COVID. Um, what do you suggest or what, what's your advice to people who are listening in and uh, are probably reconsidering that we should requalify and get into the risk and governance space? What's your advice to them on how to start? Yeah, I, I love that question. I, I think, first of all, just note and be aware that you have a leg up, that you were, I guess, down in the weeds, for lack of a better term, and therefore have a deep technical knowledge that a lot, like, I personally am not even that technical. We've talked about this, Ashish, but um, I mean, I started in, in risk and governance, and so I've had to learn technical, and, and I while I appreciate that route, it's very easy to go backwards and starting technical and then moving to more strategic. Um, the, the first thing I would suggest is, is quite simple, uh, is picking up the NIST cybersecurity framework, the CIS 20 framework, figuring out, obviously, you know, the technical components of, of what technologies need to be implemented in order to address the risk, which uh, is tied to a specific control in each of these frameworks. But more importantly, just figuring out how to go backwards, how to figure out what technologies tie to what risks and why that's important. Figuring out why that's a risk, what it's causing from a macro level. You, I guess uh, a better way to describe it is that these technical uh, folks that you're talking about are, are uh, micro. They're, they're very much in the weeds of technology, but for risk and governance, it's more than that. It's that whole triangle of people, processes, and technology. So you understand the technology deeply, I would now tie 
their your knowledge to understanding what the uh, associated processes and um, people are. And more importantly, the processes. I think with people, it's just ownership of the control and the risk, which I think that um, like a cloud center professional would would understand already. Um, so that was kind of a long-winded answer, but I think that you're not so far off the mark. I think um, the only other thing I would say is that you need to understand too that you can't now deliver your resume as a as a uh, cloud center professional with all that technical knowledge that we just talked about. This is kind of like pitching to the board. You don't want to go technical. You want to let them know that you understand the strategic implications of risk. You you understand um, security from an entire um, governance perspective. And so you need to reflect that in your resume for sure. Oh, awesome. And apologies for my dog in the background. I don't know if you can hear him growling. No worries. <laughs> it's, like, no for, worries. Uh, it's like he doesn't realize. I thought, realize that, I thought he, you were he, just hungry. I didn't know. Yeah, like growl. <laughs> like, so hungry right now, like Hulk mode. Now, like, I think uh, he, does, he doesn't realize he's streaming live on uh, LinkedIn on, and Twitch oh, right now. Tell him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, does, he doesn't even realize that. Um, uh, it, so, it's really um, good that you brought up the board conversation as well, because one of the other things that people talk about uh, to board, it's not just about cybersecurity and how much money do we spend on security, but also when you want to increase the size of your team, you need money for that. And yeah. that's another conversation to have with your board. And how do you justify that? And to your point, for people who are trying to get a new job right now, um, they probably are trying to qualify themselves in um, different with, I guess, different phases of security or cybersecurity. Um, is there a, I guess, is there a, I was going to ask if there's like, an, a, like a pattern that you see for should people focus on, say, ISO compliance or NIST compliance? Is there more, um, is, there, is, is there almost like a graph where, or oh, there's more NIST compliance, so why don't you start with NIST? Because it's, I'm sure there's time pressure on people as well. People do want to study for the shortest time and get... Yep bang for the buck, get a job, and then learn on the job, which, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with learning on the job. I think everyone learns on the job. No one's like, I know everything in a job. So it's completely fine. Um, or is there like a thing that people can pick up? And is there like a professional qualification people can get in risk and governance? Ooh, yeah, that's a loaded question. So first of all, I wish that there was some kind of graph that outlined what companies care about like in terms I, I've seen it all I get asked about every possible regulation out there I would say NIST um, leads the pack but unfortunately for the security professionals on the on the uh, stream you understand that NIST actually has a few different frameworks they just released a privacy framework so now I can think of four frameworks that I hear about on any given basis so people throw that acronym out all the time oh we're, we're NIST compliant it's like that doesn't make much sense. Like you got to be a little bit more specific than that because that that whittles it down to 1,200 different controls. Um, so I would I wish that resource existed. I will say, from my professional opinion, um, most people know what NIST is, but I would say to get a little bit deeper, NIST uh, CSF or Cybersecurity Framework is very popular, and then NIST uh, 171 because that is the framework that built the is the building blocks for all government entities. Now I'm, you know, I'm sure people have heard of the, the new CMMC, so Cybersecurity Maturity Model uh, Certification. It's like the US government's new way of, of gauging a security risk posture for every contractor that does business with the government. 
but even that was built on NIST 171. All so, right. Yeah, so people don't realize that. They keep giving them acronyms, but the good thing is, um, back to your original question, is that I, I would encourage them to probably pick up NIST CSF and NIST 171 because uh, the reality is that most of these regulations that are coming out and most of these other frameworks, they're just copying. It, it's yeah. mostly, and if they aren't copying the verbiage, you can find what we call in the industry a crosswalk. So you just go on to Google and type NIST CSF to ISO 27001 crosswalk. And then you can find every control for ISO that ties to a control in NIST. And so um, I would say invest in NIST, um, learn NIST uh, verbiage, and and then that will get you a, a lot further along um, because you could technically say now that you have experience with these other frameworks as well since there's Ooh. that cross-pollination. That's really interesting because what as a, as a skill set that what you're doing is you're under, because NIST is public and it's on the US government website as well. You can, yep. anyone can go and look at it, read through, I think they've like about over 300 controls or something. Um, and they yeah. can use that for, I guess to your point, once they go through it and they understand it, they can use that in the interview to say, oh, we, I can help you get the NIST compliance. Or is it more, there, there is no NIST certification, is there? Or is it just NIST compliance? No, I'm sorry, I brushed over that part of it. So unfortunately, the downside is that there is not a NIST certification. NIST is just kind of a, a third party accredited, um, I guess, I guess, I think I'm, I think they're actually funded by the government, but they're not a direct government entity. They're technically third party but um, they're not, they're just best practices. So certifications, like that's one of the most confusing elements in the security world is that depending on the advertisement you see, some people will convince you that you can be NIST certified or I just saw last week HIPAA certification, which is not a thing. That's not a thing at all. Um, oh, right. so wow. You, it's, it's hard to, you, you kind of have to talk to fellow security professionals to figure out what is certificate, what is certificate worthy and what is not. But like uh, the big one in the industry is ISO 27001. Um, and so uh, in terms of, there, there's obviously the SOC 2 uh, audits and certifications associated with those. Um, those are probably the most popular certifications. Yeah. Um, I would say that one that's not well known, but people should look into is, um, GDPR's uh, privacy shield. So um, GDPR itself is a regulation. I'm going to bore so many people. I've thrown out so many acronyms <laughs> at this point. That's well, what this but, industry is about, and it's ridiculous. Well, but, uh, imagine you're talking to the board. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I, I need to stop with the with the acronyms. But GDPR is is probably the, the world's first data privacy, true data privacy regulation. So um, the, the people think that there's certifications with that and there's not, it's just a regulation, but yeah. there is a, a body called the privacy shield um, group and I, I, it's just privacy shield. And you can actually self-certify yourself saying that I have all of these controls and, and processes rolled out and they'll put their, your name on their um, website and you get a whole like sticker thing that you can put on your website. So that's another certification that I encourage people uh, to kind of so understand because it's pretty short. 
and without sony without sounding dodgy i was gonna say so anyone who's trying to get into this uh risk and governance space because nist itself doesn't have a certification it's mm-hmm. probably a, a great example for someone to understand NIST controls help companies get nist compliant not not certified yes. compliant exactly. which means yep. that you have assessed the company controls against the controls on nist and you feel you've answered all the questions and you basically said oh I, i'm nist compliant which is a good thing for the board to kind of point out on their website or anywhere else that oh we're nist compliant so exactly. to your point they're putting security first and not not trying to fool the rest of the industry by saying oh we're nist certified or hipaa certified yeah 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 exactly well and the way I explain it is compliance um, is like getting a, a 60 on your test score, like technically, or I don't know how they score it in Australia, but that was a pass for, for here in the States. Yeah. But st- your parents are still going to be pissed. Like it's not, it's not all the way. So NIST gets you <laughs> all the way. NIST is going above and beyond just the minimum requirements to have a, an appropriate security program across your organization. It's kind of the gold standard um, Sweet. for Sweet. security. This is awesome. Uh, I think so. We've kind of spoken about different aspects. We've spoke about, I guess, um, how to talk about cybersecurity to the board. We also spoke about if someone's trying to get into cybersecurity right now, probably mm-hmm. um, easier fields to get into to start off, If especially if you already have a technical background or you have that mindset, but you're more of a strategic thinker, then you can go into the risk and governance space. You don't have to go in, straight into hacking. Um, we also spoke about, um, I guess, how COVID has changed risk and governance is the from a board perspective. I actually I love the part about the human psychology thing as well, where we're, we're trying to address the human psychology side of things. Um, I'm going to switch over to the fun questions. I know we have done this before, but I just I'm I'm just wondering with the COVID times if your answers have changed. Like, what are you? Uh, um, how are you keeping yourself busy during COVID? So you know how I so my. Original podcast question used to be that, what do you do when you're not working in tech? But now it's yeah. more like, what do you do to do before COVID? What are you doing now in, in COVID? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, great question. I think all of us are probably going a little insane and running out of TV shows to watch. Uh, <laughs> me, I uh, thankfully, I, I live close to a lake here in Austin, Texas. And so um, I'm out on the lake quite a bit. I also have three dogs, so we take the dogs, uh, my fiance and I, a lot uh, out on the lake. And uh, we recently taught two of our dogs to jump on the paddle boards with us, and we oh, paddleboard nice. around the lake, and uh, that's always fun. Uh, so yeah, we've been doing that a lot. So a lot of walks, a lot of going on the lake, and then of course you and I have talked about this before, but it's actually a great opportunity for folks uh, that are either just trying to hone their skills or trying to get into a new industry. Now's the time to do certifications. Now's the time to study up. And, and so I've been taking a lot of time to, to read and kind of catch up on things. And, and even just like leisurely reading, um, I feel like we get so darn busy that now for the first time you have a little bit of reprieve. We're not having to commute anywhere. And, and so I've been catching up on that. So much, time, so much time in hand. Like I think I've been, I've been a lot of doing, a lot of cooking. I made uh, buffalo wings. Which I've, I always wanted to make buffalo wings, but I never thought I had the time for it. But somehow, yeah. COVID nineteen has made me feel there's plenty of time. So my wife and I ended up doing. Um, we made Jamaican jerk chicken a couple of weeks ago. Wow. Then we buffalo wings. I'm like, where are the, where were these recipes? They looked pretty straightforward now. 
but it's almost to to your point before covid it was almost felt like oh i don't have enough time that's not take yeah. a long time i i, I don't yeah. think i have the time for it but now it seems like i've got plenty of time i'm not going anywhere i'm just going to be stuck at home anyways i'm trying to go yeah. buy the essentials and just make myself something um have you have you jumped on the uh the sourdough bandwagon yet oh Everybody I, there, have you yeah. seen the statistics <laughs> behind like how many people in the world are baking sourdough bread and how much money is being passed around for these companies that just sell like i don't know sourdough starter and and basic yep. utensils it's insane oh, by, by the way the new trend is uh pancake cereals have you seen that pancake what pancake cereals you know you have morning no. cereals so yeah. but instead of using like a like a kellogg's or one of those corn flake cereals they you make these miniature pancakes and like that's your cereal you should you should google it it just do i think it's called what? it's just hashtag pancake cereal and i got to write this down <laughs> i'll send you a link for it as well man it's like it's super bizarre and uh it could also be because i've i've recently started because my wife and i got so bored cuz we feel like we're too old to go to a club but we love dancing so we've started doing tiktok videos now and nice. uh, it's it's uh, because you I mean you want to dance but the music in club club sounds too loud or not that I can yeah. go to the club anymore in during covid times anyways so we started doing this thing where we're doing um tiktok videos and it's like a thing which is really popping on tiktok which is pancake cereal is this like super miniature pancakes and i'm like what how and why are you adding so much milk to it so people are eating pancake as if it's like a cereal but like it's like what? miniature pan yeah and i'm like i just do not get why would you make pancake and milk mixed together it just yeah, like yeah it doesn't I, seem right to me that's like no it doesn't but to the whole tide pod uh, <laughs> thing man that's kind of weird that doesn't sound right and and to to make it even more weird people have started making rainbow colored miniature pancakes so that they can match it to the you know how uh there are different yeah. flavored cornflakes like chocolate and all that and yeah. i'm like why not just eat actual cornflakes why yeah, just go ahead and get yeah why it's one why of the few things to... that hasn't been wiped out in the grocery store so you can still get your hands on the normal cereal. yeah but no no but it's too easy right you can just buy and go and buy this buy it from the store i'm just going to make it complicated because i've got so much time that i'm yeah. just going to make my own cereal like i'm just like so to your sardo point i was going to jump on that bandwagon but then i realized that oh i don't know if i can continue that plus i like uh, the sardo uh from my local bakery so much i'm like oh i'm not going to try and oh, compete with nice. them Yeah so it kind of works out really well but because my wife and I did definitely did consider uh making like an olive bread sourdough which is yeah. like that would be awesome like but anyway that, that that's one good. that's one of those ones where you like hmm I can't give it a shot plus I think started doing the the covid beard now apparently it's a thing Nice <laughs> yeah I think you need to tell the audience uh how the hell you're still getting haircuts in covid because I'm over here starting to get borderline oh. like just ridiculous uh, so for anyone in Australia barbershops actually open No and way. They are they are and I think they what they start doing on May 11th so tomorrow for me and I guess yeah for you um they have started easing down lockdown uh restrictions. Uh yep, okay, nice. So yeah, a lot so of shops are opening up. Nice. Okay. They're staggering so, it over here, so um Oh, right. Okay, cuz I think cuz you in Texas they've said masks are compulsory, right? For yeah, everyone. Yeah, they're Yeah, they're 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 mandatory still um here and and so now it's supposedly up to the business but Austin like overruled Texas and it's been a mess. 
So yeah, haircuts is, uh, so salons are still not able to open in Austin. They're open everywhere else in the state. But, uh, um, but yeah. I, I think I, I did want to say though, even though barbershops are open, they're not, um, they're not trimming anything for, for beard or they're not doing anything with the beard. I, I don't know how it's working for salons hmm. for the ladies, but for the guys, they're only doing haircuts and not doing uh, beard trims or nothing to do with, with the beard because apparently the beard holds onto saliva um so uh, they don't want to yeah. get i am like oh i have no idea there was this, like a, there was this the thing so which is why apparently it's a fashion thing now which, and clearly i'm into fashion so i had to do this and um to have a covid beard and also because you can you don't have to go into the office so you don't have to be like yeah. clean shaven yeah um so and people on the other end they're completely fine because uh barbershops are not doing uh, beards as well so I'm hoping they'd start doing it soon, but at least I get a couple of months of growing the beard and see how that looks. Although I'm a yeah. bit uh, concerned because I've got a few white patches on my beard. Oh, and I'm, no. like, <laughs> I'm like, damn it, I'm getting old. Uh, it's like, uh, so I don't know about that part though, but I think, I think hopefully I, I can get, get over my white patches and, uh, or even try put some like a dye on it, but we'll, we'll yeah, see how, we, how far we go. I don't, I don't want to go down that part. Sounds like, Sounds pretty wrong to be, uh, I guess, considerably yeah, not 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 like a teenager, but still young enough and you're still having white beard, I guess. Although my dad's <laughs> loving this. Um, I do. This was this was really awesome, man. I think I I did wanna ask one more fun question because this is kind of still the fun section. Um, we, so if if paddleboarding and spending time on lake and reading, is there any book that you're reading right now that you recommend to people? is non-fiction or oh, actually fiction or non-fiction what kind of books do you read you know i i've kind of given up on reading fiction because i feel like i don't have enough time to set aside to read like i respect everybody that sets the time <laughs> out i sometimes i'll read like two hours a day and sometimes i'll i'll not read at all i'm very inconsistent with that and so right now uh one of the best books that i'm reading is the 48 laws of power by robert green yeah robert green uh, All right. It's basically like the 48 principles of how humans act and how you should act to kind of uh, to not I hate the word manipulate, but uh, optimize your interactions with other humans. Um, so I like that one a lot. Um, I just put a, a post on LinkedIn for a book that just changed my life called uh, Love is the Killer App, which I had. It's kind of an older book, but uh, okay. you should definitely pick it up just about kind of changing your mentality about helping others and kind of contributing your network and your knowledge um, to others without expecting anything in return and seeing how the benefit comes. So I've been testing that theory for like a couple months now since I started my own company. And, and it's insane how opportunities will come back to you um, just wow. by simply giving free advice or giving free, uh, giving free resources or, or whatever the case may be. So encourage wow, those they, two books. They, they go hot, hot tip for anyone trying to get into cybersecurity. Just start by, by giving free information out there. Doing, yeah. doing um, free like LinkedIn live videos. <laughs> thanks, there thanks you go. Taylor. <laughs> hey, yeah, there's my plug. There. Yeah. <laughs> well, say, uh, if anyone wants to reach out to you to talk about uh, talk more about the cybersecurity for board kind of conversation or risk and governance, uh, what are your socials that they can reach you on? Where are you more active? Uh, I'm I'm the most active on LinkedIn. So Taylor Hersom on LinkedIn. Um, my Twitter following is pretty embarrassing. I never use Twitter. I'm uh, and Instagram, I guess, would be my second most active. So 
Um, definitely LinkedIn. I like LinkedIn the most and engage uh, quite a bit on there with professionals. I, I would love to just throw out the statement that I'm here to help any security professional from veteran to novice to trying to get into security. I'm always happy um, to help and, and kind of contribute to the to the greater good of uh, cybersecurity. We definitely need more cybersecurity professionals that understand risk and governance. I know hacking was made super sexy by shows <laughs> like uh, Mr. Robot or I wrote. Well, was it Mr. Robot or Mr. Robot? Robot? Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. Yeah. I wrote was the Will Smith movie. That's what it was. You're right. Yeah, yeah. that had nothing to do with hacking. So uh, my bad. Uh, but <laughs> that's that's the other side of uh, security, I guess. But this is going. Yeah, we're talking that's about AI can make a decision. Get into risk and governance. Yeah, it's the right. world will get taken over by robots. <laughs> that's right. So, no, but happy to happy to uh, connect with everyone. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, again, man, thank you so much. I always have. Thank uh, you for coming, man. Thank you for taking time out. And and I, I do appreciate you brought your beer and I got my coffee. So I do appreciate that yeah, as well. Just finished it. Good timing. Yeah, Good perfect timing. timing. Just just hit that mark as well. Thanks so much for your time, man. You enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, for people who are following, I guess you can just go on the website and I'll probably put the podcast link. It's on the show notes. So I'll talk to you guys soon. But thanks so much for your time again, Taylor. Really appreciate you doing this, man. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to that episode of Cloud Security Podcast. If you found some new information from that episode, we would appreciate if you share it with others. Share it with us as well if you have any good feedback or good learnings from the episode. We are on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you don't find us there, you can always go on our website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv to listen to the latest episode. We appreciate your support in helping us grow. It helps us bring more guests. It helps us support the channel. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and talk to you on the next episode.